morning's reading comes from Timothy, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, 17 through 19. Those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. This is the word of God for the people of God. I'm sorry to invite you to take out of those bulletins that you handed when you came in. It has a sermon note outline of what we're going to be talking about today. It's a place where you can make notes of things the Holy Spirit may prompt you to do so that you want to remember. Uh, there's also a study guide that we give to you to take home and to, to dig into God's Word and try to make it a daily part of your discipline of getting into God's Word and letting God's Word speak to you each day. So I hope that you'll take that home as well. Today we're going to be continuing in a series of sermons where we've been asking the question, what is the good life and how do we experience it? Because everybody wants to experience a good life, right? I mean, we, we all want to experience a good life. Part of being human is we want to have a good life. Nobody wants to have a bad life. Nobody wants to have a sad life, a lousy life. We all want to have a good life. But what does that really mean? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. I'm going to invite you to pause with me in a moment of prayer. Most gracious and loving God, we gather in this place, feeling your presence as we have worshipped here and sung. We know that you long to be in relationship with us. You have a will for our life. And now we seek to be shaped by your word. We seek to commune with your spirit in such a way that we leave this place changed more into your likeness living more in accordance with your will. Speak to us, God, we pray. I humbly offer myself as your vessel this morning that you may be glorified and you alone. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, we began to explore this topic of the good life. And we discovered that there is a counterfeit approach to experiencing the good life. Um, it seems so right. And yet, it never, it never does what it claims. It just doesn't work. And this is the idea that the good life can be found when you seek to maximize your pleasure in life and minimize your pain. This comes from the, uh, the Greek philosophical teaching of hedonism. And we talked about enlightened hedonism in those times together. But it's the idea that if I just could pack my life 
full of more stuff, more pleasure, minimize my pain in life, then I could finally experience the good life. I'd finally be happy. But what we found is the writer of Ecclesiastes tried that. And he was a king who was the wealthiest king of all of the kings of Israel. So he could acquire anything that his heart desired, and he did. But at the end of his life, he says, it was all meaningless. A chasing after the wind. So just the opposite really happens in life. We, we think that if we pack our life full of more and more stuff and more and more pleasures, then we're going to experience the good life. But what we really end up experiencing is a boring life. I mean, when we make it our aim to try to uh, fi- fill our lives with more and more pleasure in life, it's kind of like uh, eating a dozen chocolate chip cookies, you know? The first ones taste really good, but after a while, they don't taste so good anymore the more and more we eat. Well, this is how it works in life when we try to fill our lives with more more pleasure, more stuff. In the end, it becomes meaningless, chasing after the wind. And then we discovered two keys, the first two keys of this series to experiencing the good life. In case you weren't here, I want to just remind you, uh, the first key was being grateful for what you have. This is trying to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. It's focusing on those things that you do have in life more so than you focus on those things you don't have. The the second thing is uh, to pursue a purpose that's bigger than yourself. It is to ask the question, it's to think about, why am I here? Uh, Why do I exist? What is my purpose in life? When we begin to focus on those things, we begin to find more of a purpose in life. We we begin to experience the good life. Today, we're going to follow that same pattern. We're going to look at a counterfeit approach to the good life, and then we're going to follow it with two uh, more keys to how we might experience uh, the good life. And the counterfeit part that we're going to talk about this morning is a close cousin to that idea of pleasure. It's money. Money. It's, It's interesting that The assumption for many of us is that if we just had more money, then we could experience the good life. But, you know, I've known a lot of people who have a lot of money. And what I have discovered is that they're constantly trying to get more because they just never seem to have enough. They they never have enough. They're always working to get more of it. And that's because it never delivers. It never fully satisfies or fulfills us in the way that we think it does. There are a lot of philosophers out there who have figured this out, and they've taught about this. Uh, there are actually four philosophers that are probably um, some of the most uh, influential philosophers of the last 20th century who actually figured this out, and they're from England, and I wanted to hear just, just a part of their uh, lecture about this. Pay attention to this first.
I love the Beatles. Um, <laughs> yeah, they probably were some of the most influential philosophers of the 20th century. Uh, and I think they really captured it. You know, I, I, I agree. I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love. And, and they got it. But, uh, of course, they kind of lost that <laughs> later on and got into a lot of trouble. But uh, this idea that, you know, money, money, neither money nor pleasure are bad things in life. Uh, both of those things are a part of having the good life. Uh, we have to have money in order to live and exist. But so they're not a bad thing. It's just that when we begin to believe the cultural life, if we could just have more of it, then we'd, able, we'd be able to buy the good life uh, if we just had more of it. And we make that the focus of our life. Then it becomes a real problem for us. And the truth is, many of us have tried to live this way. This is what we've, we've tried to live. We, what we've seen in America is that we often try to, what we're spending on our lifestyle is often greater than what we're earning in our income. And that's okay, because, you know, we can do that. We can buy on credit, right? You can uh, buy those things you can't yet afford uh, by buying them on credit. You can pay for them later on, and you get to have them today. Now, of course, there's a whole other set of problems that goes along with that. In, in 2008, when we had the financial crisis hit our country, many of you experienced some tough times with that, and we saw how the the credit card usage uh, began to go down for Americans, which was a healthy thing for us. But since that time, we've started to see it rise back again, where we're trying to fund a lifestyle that we can't yet afford. Uh, this week, I read a report <coughs> about how much credit card debt that the average American owes today. Now, some of you, uh, you, you don't have credit card debt because you pay off your credit card at the end of every month. Uh, my wife, Marie, and I, we do that, and I... And, but those of you who, who carry a credit card debt, you might be interested in hearing this. I, I mean, I was surprised at this. The average credit card debt today is $15,675. That's the, uh, the uh, interest on that is around $2,500 a year. And then the average American who has debt has an average of $28,000 in car loan debt. Uh, the average American has $48,600 in student loan debt, and a mortgage note for their home that they owe averages around $172,341. All of that with an average income of $75,600. You <laughs> um, see where the problem lies. So we have managed to buy the house of our dreams. We've managed to buy the car of our dreams. We, we've managed to um, buy the furniture of our dreams, the vacation of our dreams. We've been, uh, even um, been able to purchase the wedding of our dreams. But has all of that brought us the good life? There are a number of studies out there that indicate that we as Americans carry around a lot of stress in our lives. Uh, one of these studies conducted by the Harris Poll for SunTrust found that the number one stress in Americans' lives today is, you know, <laughs> is money. Uh, it's by far the greatest stress factor. There were 37% of people in American surveys said that they are stressed over money. Now, the next greatest stress factor I thought was interesting is 22%, and it said it's the annoying habits of the people I live with. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> they also did a study about trying to understand what were the right big causes for divorce. And what they found out was the leading cause for divorce was not money. It was actually incompatibility. The second leading cause for divorce was infidelity. The third leading cause for divorce, though, was money. So uh, 
we have 23% of people who say they've got divorced did so because of conflict over money. And this is very interesting because money promises us the good life, right? <clears throat> but when we spend our money on the things that we're trying to acquire, thinking that it's going to bring us the good life, what we get is a stress-filled life. A stress-filled life. I think the Beatles may have had it right. <laughs> may have had it right. One of the things that we try to do here at our church every year is we offer this Dave Ramsey Financial Peace Course. Some of you have taken that. Uh, it's um, a way to help people try to take a healthier approach to managing their finances. And if you're in debt, it gives you a path to how to get out of debt. But, you know, I've listened to a lot of financial planners and resource people over the years. They all seem to say basically the same thing. They boil it down to these points. First of all, you've got to meet your basic needs. You have to take care of that first, your basic needs. Then you have to set aside money for emergencies. Um, then you're to set goals for your money, and then you try to fund those goals. The last thing is that with whatever's left over, you try to uh, determine what your discretionary funds are going to be used for. Our problem for, for many people is that uh, a lot of us try to start with our discretionary funds first. <laughs> we work our way backwards. We, we try to do that in the opposite way, and that's not how it's designed to work. I, I think it's interesting. When it comes to meeting our basic needs in life, there was a, a statistic I, I read here recently. It says in 1950, the average new home that was being built here in America was 983 square feet with 3.7 people occupancy. In 2009, the average home that was being built was 2,700 square feet with 2.57 occupancy. Uh, clearly, we have redefined what it means to have basic needs taken care of for us in society. Listen, what I'm suggesting is that the first key that comes to us for how to experience a good life is to ask the question, do I really need all the stuff that I have? Is all the stuff that I have and what I'm pursuing with my life, is that bringing me the good life? Or is it actually bringing more stress to my life? I believe that one of the keys to experiencing the good life is to take an, a good evaluation of our lifestyle, our standard of living, and seek to try to maintain a standard of living that is maybe three rungs below what we could afford. In other words, it is trying to to live below our means. So if this is what I could afford, or if I used everything I had, we try to live three rungs below that. And the difference between what we could afford and where we are is what we call margin. And margin brings heat to our life, less stress. Margin allows you to help a friend who's in need and be thankful that you can do that because you had the margin, the resources to be able to do that. Margin allows you to set financial goals. Margin allows you to, um, to be able to set aside something in your savings <laughs> over time so that when that transmission goes out or that uh, air conditioner goes out, uh, you're not so stressed because you've got resources there to be able to help with that. Margin allows us to be able to give to God and to other people. Margin is a real key to experiencing the good life. It's living beneath and below our means. So I want to ask you the question today. Are there areas in your life that you could simplify? Are you at that place where you're, you could say, you know, there are some things here that I've got, some stuff that I have that we really don't need, but yet we're still paying for it. 
prayer on the air if you could simplify your life and maybe bring about more peace, less stress in your life. It's been interesting. <clears throat> Those people who are um, who have encountered the flood uh, disaster, uh, we have many of those in our own church and associated with. We have friends and family. And as I've observed these people and been with them, I, I found that many of them are now having a whole different perspective about what is important in their lives as it comes to basic needs. I've really seen two big differences that people have that experience this flood. One of them, you have some who are, who are focused on everything that they've lost, and they focus on all that they don't have, and they're, they're really stressed about trying to get all that back. And then you have others who are focused more on giving thanks to God, gratitude for what they do have. And they're seeing this as an opportunity to simplify their lives and to refocus on what is really important. So this is what I want to challenge you to think about this week. Where are the places in my life that I could simplify things? Here I'm, I'm reminded of the old Shaker song entitled Simple Gifts. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down to where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in a place just right, will be in the valley of love and delight. And that valley of love and delight, I think, is a good life that comes from simplifying our lives. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we shan't be shamed. To turn, to turn will be our delight. Till by turning, turning, we come round right. That word turn, in the Greek, we translate that as repentance. Uh, repentance means to think differently. And when we think differently, it causes our hearts to change. And when our hearts change, our behavior and our, our lifestyle changes. I think maybe that's what we ought to be doing when it comes to this subject. Let's repenting of how we're thinking that if we just could cram our life full of more and more pleasure, then we might experience real life. Maybe, maybe it really works the other way around. All right, the second way that I think we tend to get off track when it comes to money is that we begin to think, you know, if I just had more of it, if I could just make more money, if I could just save more money and put it in my retirement plan, then, then I would find the good life. I'd finally be happy. We'd feel financially secure. We'd be able to achieve our goals in life. We'd be able to be happy. Do you hear those things? Do you resonate with any of that? I mean, it's, it's amazing how much of our life seems to center around money. We even talk about people's value based on their net worth. Jacob Needleman, an 82-year-old philosophy professor at San Francisco State University, and he wrote a book entitled Money and the Meaning of Life. And as you read this book, when you get toward the end of it, you find he's having a conversation with one of his college students. And this college student says something very profound. Greed is inevitable in the absence of an inner man. Greed is inevitable in the absence of an inner man. In other words, if you don't have something that is a driving force of your life, if you don't have something that says to you, this is why I exist, if you don't have a purpose that's bigger than yourself, then greed is going to take over in your life. And when greed takes over in our life, our purpose then becomes to make as much money as I can, to try to hold on to much as, as much as I can, because we think that's what's going to give us Happiness. 
Wesley said of Methodism, said, this cannot be our aim in life. You remember how he said, make as much money as you can. So making money is not a bad thing. It's just you need to do it justly. Uh, Make as much money as you can and save as much as you can so that, he says, you can give as much money as you can. So that you can you can give to those things that uh, are truly important, that line up with your purpose in life. Listen, none of us here want to be characterized as being greedy. None of us do. But I, I think if we're honest with ourselves, the truth is there are some of us here who spend a lot more time worrying and studying our uh, portfolio of retirement than we do worrying and studying and reading over Scripture. And if we were honest with ourselves, we would say that our sense of security or even our sense of self-worth comes primarily based upon how much money I have in my 401k or my checking account rather than in God who walks with us every day of our lives. Sometimes we get really confused on this subject about money and where life is to be found. This is why I think Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. In other words, one of those things is going to be on top of the other. Prior to the days when I was able to um, access Scripture on my cell phone, I used to carry two things in my back pocket. I carried, uh, of course, my, my, uh, my billfold, and then I also carried a, a Bible, a New Testament with me. And I think what Jesus is saying is that there is often within our lives a battle between these two things. And so the question has to be asked, which one of these is going to be on top? Is it going to be my faith and my willing to pursue a life based on God's call? Or is it going to be the quest for more uh, and making decisions about my life based on how much money I have? Money. We know in Scripture and the teaching, it's a, it cannot be the driving force of our life. It's got to be something else. Paul says it this way in our Scripture lesson for today. He says, those who want to be rich fall into temptation. He doesn't say those who want to be rich are bad people. <laughs> he says those who want to be rich fall into temptation when they try to make pursuing money, becoming rich, the focus of their lives. He goes on to say that they are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money, it's not money, it's the love of money, is the root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Again, having money is not a bad thing. When you read the scriptures, there were lots of people who were wealthy. I mean, Abraham was wealthy, Isaac was wealthy, Jacob was wealthy, David was wealthy, Solomon was wealthy. In the New Testament, you had Jacob of Arimathea. Uh, who, who uh, provided the tomb for Jesus' burial, he, he was wealthy. Making money, being wealthy, is not the problem. It, it, it's, it's what how we think of it. It's what, how we, what do we do with it? What is it that is ruling our heart? Is it one or the other? The truth is, there is a connection between money and the good life. There really is. But we often get confused about it. And so I, I, I found a clip that I wanted to share with you. It's from... Um, Dr. Kim Breskot, she has a Ph.D. in financial planning. She, has, she also works as a personal financial planner. And um, she's a member of the Church of Resurrection up in Kansas City, the Methodist Church there. And we got permission to show you this clip about the connection between money and the good life. Take a look. Money alone does not bring happiness. It's 
how we use it that brings happiness. And we have some great research on how we can spend our money to bring us greater happiness. And, and some of the things that we've learned from that research um, are that we shouldn't be spending our money on stuff because our satisfaction starts to wane almost as soon as we bring it home. Um, but we should be spending it on experiences, especially experiences with our loved ones and experiences that support our values. We should be spending our money helping others because we actually get greater satisfaction out of spending money on others than we do on ourselves. And there's some very interesting research on that. The ones that I do see using their money for generosity during life seem to be much happier and more satisfied with their lives. And they seem to be doing a better job of transmitting their values to their children as well. They prioritize giving, for one thing, both during life as well as in their estates. And they're very deliberate in making sure that they're transmitting their values to their children and not just transferring money to their children. So it's, a, it's something that they do all along through life. Money alone does not bring... The end of this passage from the Apostle Paul. He really talks about the difference between being ruled by the love of money and having a good life. He says, Tell them to set their hopes in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants us to have a good life. He wants us to enjoy. He gives us everything to enjoy in life. Then he says they are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of a life that really is life. I love that last line. Take hold of a life that really is life. This implies that there is life that is not really the life. It is a a life of a, a boring life. It is a life that is filled with stress, not peace. It's a life that is focused on trying to get more and more things and yet never being satisfied. Jesus says there really is life. It has something to do with placing our trust in God and being generous, being willing to share to others. This is why Jesus said in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And this is the second key to experiencing the good life. It is more blessed to give than to receive. The first key was to live below your means. It was to, to try to live uh, below our means where we create margins so that we're able to pursue those things that are most important in life and you are rewarded and find joy in that. The second key is also a way to experience a good life if we'll just follow it. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And we know that this is true. I mean, just think about Christmas morning. Where do you derive your mo most of your joy on Christmas morning? Is it from opening the presents that people have gotten you? Or is it watching as pe other people open the presents you've gotten them? And we all know the answer to that. It's, it's much more fun watching others open the presents that you've got for them. And the same is true for life. And yet we cannot make this second key really part of our life until we buy into some fundamental truth about life. You hear us talk about this all the time at this church, that we are blessed in order that we might be a blessing to others. This is a fundamental truth that Scripture teaches about how we are to live as people of faith. And yet, that comes only from the understanding and the belief that everything we have comes from God. Uh, it, it is the belief that we are taught in Scripture everything ultimately belongs to God. 
Your, your life is a gift from God. This day is a gift from God. The planet we live on is ultimately a gift from God. Everything ultimately belongs to God. And as long as we begin to think that it belongs to us, <laughs> we are reluctant to share, to be generous toward others. And thus we don't experience the good life. Because the good life comes in recognizing that it is more blessed to give than to receive. A part of our worship here every Sunday is to acknowledge this truth. And we do that through music and singing and through prayers and giving praise to God that everything ultimately belongs to God. You are Lord of our life and you are God of this universe. We proclaim that in many ways, but we also proclaim that in our giving to God. When we return a portion of what we have to God, we're realizing that we've been blessed in order to be a blessing to others. And when you hear about all the ministries that go on in the life of our church, how people's lives are being touched and changes happening in people and the way we're, that our, the, 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 you know, people are changed in different ways and transformed and uh, comforted in their times of grief. And when you hear all those things, you realize that that's because of our giving. That those things happen. And so we are blessed with the satisfaction of knowing that our generosity has made those things to happen. I think this is what Malachi was talking about when he uh, was talking to people of his day who were not bringing the offerings uh, to God because they were more focused on uh, their own stuff. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be a food in my house. And thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I want to open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing of blessing. There's that teaching again. We're blessed by being a blessing to others. Listen, I, I get to this church I give to God through this church, not so much because the church needs money. I mean, of course, everything we do here uh, is made possible by your generosity that's given. But that's not the primary reason that I give to the church. I give because it helps me to remember that everything I have ultimately belongs to God. And because being a blessing to others brings me great joy. <laughs> it blesses me. I, I, I get great joy when I'm able to see uh, the things that we're able to do as a church in people's lives, uh, particularly during this flood disaster and other things, it just brings great joy to me to know that my generosity is used for that way. When I hear the stories of lives that are being changed, when I hear about people who are being comforted in their times of distress, when I uh, hear about people growing in their faith, it gives purpose to my giving, and it brings me great joy. But it doesn't stop with just our giving to God. You know, once we acknowledge that God is the source of all that we have in life, and we place our trust in God, and once you begin to understand that we've been blessed in order to be a blessing to others, that's where the real joy of life begins. That's where it begins for us to experience the, the great life. It's when we come to understand that we have been blessed to be a blessing to others, and it's more blessed to give than to receive. So what have we learned today? Well, we've learned two things. We've learned that we find the good life when we seek to simplify our lives. When we try to uh, live below our means and create that margin space so that we're able to pursue the purposes that are more important to us. We also find good life when we become generous and willing to share. These are those keys that enable us to take hold of a life that really is life. And that's my hope for us. In fact, as we begin to pray this morning before our closing, I want to invite you, uh, you've got guys, you've got your wallets, you can take those out, or your waiters, you can touch your purses, your billfolds, or whatever it is, and just, just take a moment. That's a symbolic sign of uh, what we've been talking about today. And 
just like the way you can touch it. And let's pray. God, we just thank you for everything that you give to us. Everything. I realize that all of my life is a gift from you. Help me, God, to honor you in my offerings. Help me to trust you with my life. Help me to serve you above everything else. To put you on top. Lord, I thank you for this congregation, for their generosity and love for you. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would help us to seek to live into the good life that you call us to. This we pray in Jesus' name. I invite you to stand for our closing song of worship together as we offer ourselves to God in praise.